1: There is no thought process. Instead of going to a restaurant, working in every position, understanding how it works, and then maybe saying, okay, I understand it all now, let me go and do it. They jump feet first and they fail. There are a lot of ways to start a business and while preparation is crucial, perseverance is key. There are a lot of kind of losses. I say losses, they are losses because they're learning opportunities of what not to do.
0: Building a public company can be hard, small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Making mistakes is a natural part of building any business, but leaving problems unresolved for too long can be costly. Today's guest is teaching business owners that huge success can come out of grand failures if you're paying attention. Today we're sitting down with Robert Irvine, a world-class chef and host of the Food Network's hit show, Restaurant Impossible he takes two days and under $20,000 to transform failing restaurants and give their owners a second chance. Robert's also an entrepreneur and as a Royal Navy veteran, a tireless supporter of the military. In addition to his restaurants, he's the owner of Fit Crunch, makers of protein bars and snacks, Robert Irvine Foods, which makes restaurant quality, prepared meals available in grocery stores and for food service applications, and Boardroom Spirits, makers of Irvine's vodka and Irvine's American dry gin. Robert is also the author of five books, the latest of which is called Overcoming Impossible. Let's enter the arena with Robert Irvine.
1: I started in a little place called Manchester, England. That's where I grew up. I moved to a place called Salisbury Wiltshire when I was about seven or eight years old. And that's where the Irvine story really begins was not a good kid at school. I loved doing woodwork and sports and history, but the rest of the time I didn't enjoy it. So my mother would go to work on a bus, I would wave goodbye like a little kid thus, and then I would double drag Into the house and drink my dad's beer with my friends one day sounds
0: good to me yeah
1: it was good (laughs) 11 years old though one day she called the house i answered the phone it was the demise of robert irvine marched down to the uh, recruitment office of the navy i'd been a sea cadet since i was probably nine or ten and loved it was marched down to the recruitment office really smart young man that i am i did the english and math test five being the lowest one being the highest i got five five the recruiter said well done Robert. you're going to be in their majesty's royal navy and you're not going to be a pilot you're going to be a cook and hence here we are today at 57 years old i'm still cooking
0: Well, listen, it's an amazing story. And, you know, you've done more than 300 episodes of Restaurant Impossible. Is it tough to remember all of them? And do you have one or two favorites? And I guess a follow-up would be, how did you go about picking the case studies for the book, which I think is so uh, wonderfully managed into the book?
1: Well, it's interesting because we get about 2,000 requests a week for the show for help from restaurants around the United States and around the world, believe it or not. It gets whittled down to five by the network and then the network picks one i do not know where i go or or i don't know the stories and i choose to do that on my own accord because i want it to be realistic and not me judge the people prior to me being there so it's really authentic i picked along with my my co-author matt tothill who is the editor of my magazine who should really take all the credit for the book I just talked to him (laughs) he wrote me as he does every week and every month not only in my speeches but also in in the magazine because the case studies in the book are lessons of why people fail you know i think we wrote the book because we could only do one restaurant impossible a week and there were thousands asking not only mom and pop restaurants but mom-and-pop businesses across the board, mid-sized businesses, and Fortune 500 companies that I work with around the country. So the best way to help those folks was to write this book. But I didn't want a book that was check this box, check that box, and you're going to be successful because there is no such book. There is no such reality in life. And I wanted really to chronicle my failures and my wins. And, yeah. and try and put out a blueprint that don't fall for these things because this is what's going to happen to you. And if you do the things I tell you, you've got a better chance of succeeding. But it's really about common sense. Business is not difficult; it's common sense. Yeah,
0: and I one of the things in the book that I thought was really nicely simplified. You know, you talked about losses or L's, and people can have a lot of losses in a row and it's about overcoming that because one win can kind of erase all of that. Maybe talk a little bit about your own losses, maybe, and and kind of a win that wiped things out and got
1: you on your way in your career. Well I've had many losses and obviously I talk about them in the book, but when I started my first company, Irvine Time, Time as in the way we spell the herb time, I was a spice company and I was doing great spices were selling nicely online i was working at trump taj mahal as the executive chef i got an opportunity to serve the military early on in my career by selling meat products that had been tumbled in my spices well i was doing great making good money and then the company (laughs) the company that i was using literally went out of business it was the largest hamburger supplier in the country, but it had a Listeria attack and wiped the company out completely. So I lost my company based on that, that was nothing to do with me, even with USDA inspectors in-house. That was one of them. You know, I used to wake up in the middle of the night and write things on a book by the side of my bed, or what should we try next? We have a food company, what should we try next? I tried pizza, put pizza out into the world, the universe, Little didn't realize how silly I am but didn't know that the bigger companies would come in pay marketing money, quote unquote, and take Irvine off the market. Get him out, we need that freezer space. Here's a couple of million dollars. And that happens more frequently than, than not with these big players. Little people like myself have no chance. When we started Fit Crunch eight years ago, I was automatically sued for trade dirt dressed by Nestle. I'm a little, little guy on TV, and Nestle, the largest food company in the world, were threatened by this little guy, sued me for trade dress. I won, by the way. It's actually, if you Google it, you can read about it, Irvine versus Nestle. I won because my protein bar looks nothing like chocolate bar. But anyway, so there are, there are a lot of those, those kind of losses. Uh, I say losses. They are losses because they're learning opportunities of what not to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, the way people
0: learn is you you make mistakes, hopefully not the big mistake. And like you said, there's so many things out of your control. You can't always have plan B, C, D, and E for all those things. You got to be nimble perseverance, determination. One of the things I wanted to ask you was your opinion, and I know you have a chapter dedicated to this in the book about social media, which is such a lightning rod these days, and companies are taking different stands on issues. What's your philosophy on social media? What do you have to say in the book about that to companies kind of getting online as they kind of grow and want to get visibility?
1: Well, I'm very much in favor of social media, but it is a double-edged sword, especially as the world is changing dramatically whether you believe in woke or no woke or or this that you know have a tv show that hits 170 countries with a billion viewers a week half of which believe one thing half of which believe another or a third or third or third depending which you look at it i try to stay away from anything that is political anything that is questionable i talk about food i talk about relationships i talk about families i talk about our military But I never get involved in fights on social media because it's just not worth it, alienating half of or or a third of your viewers because you believe in something. Those conversations to me are between my wife and I that can discuss behind closed doors and she can argue with me and I can argue with her or disagree with, with each other. But it's not for the general public at the end of the day, considered a celebrity, although I don't. I think I just cook and I'm just lucky to be on TV. But... You know people take that and they can run with it any way they want so it is a double-edged sword it's great for restaurants it's great for for stores to get business out and that type of thing but the minute you become anything but social and not political and all the rest of it you're okay but the minute you touch a political or or say something bad you're cancelled and and it could be a lifetime of work yeah. And
0: it's actually amazing how much people do have in common. And food is such a great thing that brings people together. And it's it's great that that's kind of your medium to kind of reach the world. One of the things I did want to ask you, Robert, it's such a competitive space. And you know, I know you started as a chef and over time really learned the P&L and the numbers and all of that. Why do you think so many new restaurants come on the scene with like a bang and then they just fizzle out? What do they
1: not get? The largest failing restaurant in the world, funnily enough, is an Italian restaurant. And why is that? It's really simple. Because your mom, your dad tell you that you make great meatballs, you make great gravy or sauce, depending which end of the country you come from or what you call it. You open a restaurant, you save some money, you extend your credit cards, you invite all your friends. The first six months is like one big party giving away everything. There's no thought process into the profit and loss, or very little, if any. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself three hundred thousand dollars in debt because you haven't taken in, into account the we call it the OS fund. that high back went out. The oven broke the minute you you leased or you bought the property. The floor there was a gas leak. There was you know all the things that happen when you you least expect it, because when you make a, a profit and loss statement. And a budget. There are three things that you have to remember, right? You you have to make money. Of course, you pay rent, you pay a mortgage, you pay utilities, you pay your staff, you pay insurance, phone bills, and all the rest of it. But what people forget is that machines break, like right, people, and you better have the money to replace that or not. You know. And and every restaurant I've done, and I've done over twenty-eight thousand restaurants, they never build in the OS fund. You know what that means, right? Oh, yeah. Blank. Oh, something happened. And we don't have the money. So we'll go and take a loan, but we can't go to the bank because we don't have money in the bank. So let's take it on the credit cards. Well, at 28, 38, 48, 58% that you take that money on the credit card, automatically, you just shot yourself in the foot. You're done. And, and that's why people fail. There is no thought process. Instead of going to a restaurant, working in every position there is, understanding the money and how it works and transactions with credit cards, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then maybe saying, okay, I understand it all now. Let me go and do it. They jump feet first and they fail.
0: Robert show, Restaurant Impossible, has been running for an incredible 21 seasons, so he's been helping out a lot of struggling restaurant owners for a really long time. I asked Robert about his most memorable success stories on the show and some of the key turning points
1: those owners faced. The last three years since COVID, we're 96% successful in the restaurants that we've touched, right, which is huge. And nobody else can say that and on television, I don't care what name you throw out. And that's the real number. I can tell you that the highest in debt was a place called Off Street Cafe in Cerritos, California, in a strip mall, funnily enough, um, was $1.1 million in debt. Uh, Eight years later, they paid off the $1.1 million and do $3.4 million in revenue a year. I was back there for a revisit recently. The place looks amazing. The food was spectacular. And I haven't been there for eight years yeah that must be unbelievably satisfying and and then i have one in new jersey called farm to table it used to be called the covered bridge because it's like something out of a movie like driving miss daisy there's a covered bridge and the river and this restaurant actually sat on it husband and wife divorced after 10 years but still had to work together yeah uh... it was very abusive to the point that on day two i literally took them to the riverbank and said look one of you's got to go and somebody's got to assume three hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt, and the other one has to write it off. And she said, "Well, I, I don't, I don't know anything." Her name is Jen. Believe me, you can do this, and I will help you. If you, but you've got to take on the debt. So we had the debt assigned to her with a lawyer, three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and literally he packed his stuff, went, you know, begrudgingly. And happily at the same time, it's kind of a strange bird, but I can tell you in the first year, or the first couple of months, she went to school to learn how to cook basic food. She then went to a restaurant, a French restaurant, two weeks to learn how to plate food. She's now doing $2.7 million a year. She paid off the 350 in less than nine months. And, you know, there's a thousand of those. There are people that don't listen. These are the people that listened. Then there are people that say, no, we're going to go back and, and, and sell all-you-can-eat steaks for $3 when they cost me $5, <laughs> you know. And there are people out there like that. I've had some amazing people uh, on this show over the last 13 years, 14 years, that have really gone on. Denny Tornatori, he's now opened three restaurants. He was failing. He opened three restaurants up the road from me in Florida, doing just killing it. And I talk to these folks every week. Yeah. Well, it, it, the thing that
0: just blows my mind, too, is doing it with $10,000, right? I mean, it's not like you're going in with hundred grand. This oh, no. is bare bones stuff. But when you think about, no wonder there's thousands of, of people wanting to get on the show. When you generate a return
1: on that kind of money, it's pretty incredible. They're not paying the money. I'm paying the money. I will tell you, it's slightly more than ten thousand dollars. It's almost about seventeen, eighteen now due to the inflation of the products we can't yeah, buy still. them anymore. But even so, at that price, a brand new restaurant, literally a brand new restaurant and a brand new mindset, and it's not that they don't know how to do it. It's just they don't know where to start. Yeah, you've seen the show. So my my focus is, go in, tell me the story, break you down, and then build you up slowly one step at a time, just like we do in the military, so that the systems and operating procedures are in place that you can't fail if you do these things.
0: I think your biggest strength personally is inspiring people. That's what I see on the show. You just happen to do it through being a chef and helping people kind of get out of their situation. When did you realize kind of the power of being a leader? holding people accountable versus maybe, you know, someone being paralyzed or trying to do every single job themselves within a restaurant.
1: Like, when did the light bulb go off to you? Well, I joined the military early, as as you know, 15 and a half years old, I was in the military, 16. I actually started, I think, pretty much the minute I was in the military, straight away, my first eight weeks, I was advanced 11 weeks of, of promotion. So, on a warship with a lot older, we didn't have females on warships in them days like we do now. So for me, it was taking charge of older people and navigating how to get the best out of of those people at the time. And that's what the book, if you read the book, there's four real pillars there. One is empathetic leadership, understanding the people. It's almost like having children, right? You coax the children to do things and you pat them on the back or you praise them or you chastise them in some way, shape or form. So they know they did wrong. Well, it's the same with employees. You know, we have 5,000 employees across all our platforms. And having to know each and every one what makes them tick, it's not just necessarily money. It could be vacations. It could be time with their kids. It could be. So you have to know what makes each individual tick. Then comes the second part, which is egos. Losing your ego, in, in other words, mine and theirs. Right, because ego is just get in the way. The third one is trust, and the fourth one, and you, you already mentioned it, is authenticity. You know, if you care about people, then you care about them. And I do. When I first started the show, it was really about floors and tables and chairs and getting the business going. Then I realized, after we had a three-year hiatus because I was pretty much burnt out, that it's not about the business; it's about the people. And once you fix the people, and you put the procedures in place, any business, no matter it's a trucking, a fuel stop, a shop, and I've done them all technology companies, which I do now, you know, you see the, the restaurant side, but we have a company that spans, you know, fortune 500 companies where we go in and, and do the same thing on a different level because it's hundreds of, of billions of dollars. Yeah,
0: no matter what the size, there's complications when it's a little family trying to work together. And there's massive complications when you have 2,000, 5,000 employees, right? That could be even more
1: complicated, right? It's funny. It's the same thing that I wrote a, a story in a book about a lemon poppy seed pancake recipe, which talks about that scalability, right? So you make a pancake for two people, four people, it works. But the minute you go to six or eight, the elasticity of the gluten and all that, and it's the same with business, you can't just keep doubling up because you thought it was going to work. It doesn't work like that. There has to be new procedures. You know, think of a, think of a Walmart, and American Airlines, an NBC Universal, Comcast. All those kind of businesses that continually keep growing, they have to continually reboot their standing operating procedures and how they do business.
0: With everything that you have going on, from Fit Crunch to boardroom spirits to you know, your, the food company. Like, how do you pull it all together? How do you oversee everything? You must have a great team, number one. How do you kind of juggle all that with being on social media and everything that you do every day?
1: Well, you just mentioned it there. First of all, you have to have people you trust. And it's really interesting. We have a strange kind of way in which we hire people in 14, 15 years, I think I've only lost three people that we chose to lose. My wife told me never to hire them. I went against her gut instinct and hired them. They're the three people we fired. <laughs> so we have a kind of a, the top senior leadership which is about 30 people get an hour with the, the people we're trying to hire. The last one is my wife. She gets the final say. I believe that women have a, a far better instinct than we do. And she was right three times, and I didn't listen. So I think you know, having a great team that has the same vision. You know, I, I have a vision. I set the expectations, and then hold people accountable. We have eleven companies siloed with a, each president, CFO, CMO, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they report to a young man who's thirty-four years old, who is a genius. So we spend a lot of time on the road. I'm 345 days on the road. I mean, after this, I'll be going to DC, the Pentagon this evening, and all over. The, I just come back from San Diego. So we, we have a lot of busy travel schedule. 150 of those days are just for the military across the, the globe. We'll be in Poland next week. So having a good team is paramount and being able to trust those people. But again, unless you set the expectations and the vision, you can't have a good team. You can't hold them accountable
0: you just can't do it we're about the same age and i I have a lot of friends and we talk about balance in life and my sneaky suspicion is no one wants balance
1: (laughs) you know i'm going to tell you i really i can tell you and i've asked every person i've ever done tv and and some very famous people and i'm not going to drop in because i won't do that but and i asked them the same thing so what about balance and they always say to me robert If you're a type A personality and you want to be successful, there's no such thing as balance. Yeah, I agree with that. So anybody tells you there is, you can call BS. Yeah, I agree. Because we work, we answer the phone at midnight. You know, I get a call from from Japan or Korea or wherever, I have to answer the phone. No such thing as balance. Yeah, and, and by
0: the way, you have a huge team that relies on you to make a living, and you know, that's why you're creating value and growing, because it creates opportunity long, you know, knock on wood, after you're gone, right? We
1: never laid anybody off. It's amazing.
0: Robert, tell me about the foundation. You know, I know that's something that you're really passionate about, and I think it's so cool. How did you get the idea to do that? I know, obviously, with a military background, you wanted to help veterans and people in the military. Talk about the foundation. What do you guys do every day?
1: So it's funny because I was working with Gary Sinise for, I have been for about 15 years. Gary reached out to me on Twitter and said, is this the real Robert Irvine? i said yes look at my check mark we end up talking he was in alaska i was going to honduras with special forces for fourth of july and we've been together ever since doing invincible spirit festivals and things that we do around hospitals he would play a a concert and i would feed eight to ten thousand folks barbecue style so that's how it started then about eight nine years ago I wanted to do more. So Gary builds homes and, and, and does these kind of programs. I wanted to do something different based on mental and physical health, because I love to work out and, and so on and so forth. So our foundation, the Robert Irvine Foundation.org, that's the address, you can go and look at it. But we take care of mental and physical health. We buy iBots, which are Dean Kamen, who created the Segway, created a wheelchair that makes you stand up and goes up and down stairs on its own. It's unbelievable. Last year, we get 10 of those away at $50,000 each. We buy dogs that have been trained for a year and then award those dogs for post-traumatic stress. We just literally, as of yesterday, got back from San Diego late yesterday, reunited 700 Marines and Gold Star families from uh, 2010, the uh, 1st Battalion, 5th Marines that took some of the heaviest losses in the Iraq War and they hadn't seen each other for 20 years. We put them all together for a weekend, just finished late last night. So we do an awful lot of of rebuilding broken people, if you like, Uh, and I like to say that, broken in many ways, seeing things that, that, you know, if you think about World War II and Vietnam and Korea, we think of those folks that never got the help they needed. And we're seeing an awful lot of that now with our foundation, trying to rebuild the human spirit with compassion, I think is the way to put it.
0: It's really well put. That's a, a theme across everything you've done from the TV show to the book to the foundation. So it's it's pretty cool.
1: Everything we do, no matter what business in our spirits, whether it be the bars, whatever, a portion of all those proceeds every year when you buy an Irvine product goes into those into that foundation to do good and the story's always on the on the back of the labels or, or whatever. So you can read and you can go online at robert Foundation.org and check out what we do there's a, a video that we do every year of, of what we achieved that year it will make you cry i, I cry every time I, I watch it but that's what it is so uh, i'm very proud of that
0: robert has mastered how to revive a failing business and then make it thrive everyone can learn something from him about leadership reinvention and learning from losses at welcome to the arena we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content if you found this episode insightful subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating the more the show grows the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. Robert has mastered how to revive a failing business and then make it thrive. Everyone can learn something from him about leadership, reinvention, and learning from losses. I'd like to thank Robert Irvine for joining me on the show today. Dynamic leader, businessman, philanthropist, and let's not forget a world-class chef. Robert's got a tool belt of talents to spread knowledge and support others when they need it most. And his book, Overcoming Impossible, is a great read about all those transformational stories. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.